Hello, Herd, and welcome to another episode of our main show. I am your Herd Leader, John Wayne. And I'm your lemon-flavored lemon drop, Megan. <laughs> Why are you a lemon drop? I don't know, because I just have the taste of lemons in my mouth, because I suck on a, a cough drop. Oh. Yeah. I'm not feeling good, but it's okay. It's going around. Yeah. It's making its turns. But not, no sickness can keep us from the Star Wars uh, and that's why we're here today, because we're going to talk about Star Wars, uh, particularly the things that went into s inspiring uh, the creation of Star Wars and, and some of the things that George Lucas took uh, and evolved and transformed and some that he just kind of copied and pasted. And we're going to talk about all of that and, and hopefully have a fun discussion uh, later on in the main show. Uh, but before we get there, we have some news, and of course we have an uh, interesting Q&A to round it all out at in the end, uh, you guys are morbid. That's all I'm gonna say. What? Uh, you you freaking space eating people things. It and... popped into my head, and I just <laughs> wanted to know. <laughs> uh, well, now we know, and I can't unknow. Unfortunately, if if anybody knows how to help me unknow things, uh, then yeah, if that Men in Black uh, little periscope thing is a thing, let me know, cause I I could do with for some forgetting. Have a larger mallet. <laughs> that works. That's the old-fashioned version. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, but that yeah, that's our show. So Star Wars inspirations, weird Q and A. Uh, but before that, we got the news. Megan, you've got the news. I got. The Give news. me that news. John, I'm sorry. There's no Battlefront news. Nah. Nope. I mean, other than what we've talked about, we're getting yeah. Dooku in a couple weeks. We're getting Dooku. It's about to get Dooku. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I couldn't resist, sorry. You could. <laughs> I could, but, but I didn't. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in comic news, uh, Star Wars number 59 is out today, as well as Age of the Republic, Jango Fett. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. I'm excited for both, because uh, the Star Wars main runs in a series, or a uh, uh, an arc, that I'm very interested in, um, definitely based on some of the theories about who <coughs> certain characters are and such. Yeah. But... More than that, it, you know, we're getting Jango Fett. You know, I expect to get good Star Wars main show or main run comics. Getting Jango, that's a that's an yeah. additional surprise, and and I'm really hoping we get some answers to some things. Maybe, if nothing else, maybe it's the beginning. Uh, I hope that enough people are getting excited about it and telling Star Wars that they're excited about it, um, and thanking the awesome yeah. creators for it, of course. But you know. It, when we communicate our love of something non-traditional, it becomes traditional yeah. uh, and so forth. So I'm planning on being very vocal. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. It's Jodie Hauser. She's done great with uh, the first three, Qui-Gon, Darth Maul, and Obi-Wan. So I don't doubt that it's going to be good. Uh, I just, uh, I want more, you know, more yeah. Django, obviously. Well, you know, that Django, he was really ahead of the game. <laughs> he should have stopped when he was ahead <laughs> he did stop he stopped forever he stopped um, <laughs> very suddenly <laughs> uh, yeah so I mean I'm not expecting like 25 issues on Django Fett but something maybe 5 at the at the least 10 maybe yeah. something that gives us a good bit of his story a little bit doesn't feel rushed doesn't feel like it's trying to do everything you know because I don't, I don't envy writing for Django or other characters like Ventress or uh, Grievous, eventually. You know, all of those, 
to narrow down what story to tell, it has to be daunting. So I yeah. don't envy it, but I do hope, like I said, that it leads somewhere further. Django and uh, obviously by default Boba, they're two of my favorite characters. And so uh, both have a lot of stories to be told. So, you know, hopefully um, now that Vader uh, has ended, uh, maybe that'll provide some room for some, you know, some of these five-issue series or something to kind of get some limelight, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, so exciting. It's just two, two good comics out. Also, Dr. Afro Volume 4 collection was released, so if you're into buying your comics in collected form, that's how I usually buy the physical copies, is in collected form, uh, then yeah, that that's out. So. Yeah. Did you know that it was both Elvis's and Stephen Hawking's birthday today? I did not. They were born on the same day. Interesting. Well, not the same exact day. One was born well, in 1935, the same day was born in, in 1940-something. Yeah, the same day in different years. Yes. Yes. Happy Interesting. birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Elvis. I know you're out there Our somewhere. friend Michael's dad uh, was friends with Elvis. Yeah. We found that out. Like, <laughs> yep. it was such a surprise. It was, it was a pretty cool thing. It was really cool. He was a good guy, Mr. Freddy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so yeah, so that's comics. Pretty much, I talked about more. I talked about it more than there was actually any news. Yeah. Hey, John. Hi. You remember how last week there was no book news? Yeah. We summoned some book news. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it oh, was. Boy. I think it beamed down for us a little bit. Oh. Didn't even have to tap its communicator. Yeah. Um. So we have an excerpt from the upcoming young readers book, Pirates Price which is part of the Flight of the Falcon series. Uh, the novel will see an assassin and see the assassin and bounty hunter Bazine Natel yep. continuing her hunt for the Falcon. Her hunt will see the travel to the planet Batu to question fan favorite pirate Hondo Anaka. Yay. Yay. Um, about his unca- encounter with the famous ship. The excerpt perfectly captures Hondo but the big deal is all about the details of Batu that are dropped, and we can probably get some kind of hint at the features and creatures that we're going to see at uh, Galaxy's Edge later this year. The book even includes a neat map and lists of all the planets the Falcon has visited and when. Uh, the last planet on the list is Batu, which could hint as to why it's at the Galaxy's Edge. I just, like... My throat. <laughs> the frog. <laughs> Ow. Um, the book was released yesterday and is written by Lou Anders. If you prefer to hear it rather than read it, then you can always check out the audible book, audiobook, which is read by none other than Jim Cummings himself. A.K.A. Hondo Anaka, if AKA, you d- didn't know. A.K.A. Tigger? Well, yeah. And A.K.A. Pooh. Pooh Bear? Yep. Like, A.K.A. Yeah, well, Darkwing Duck. That's the thing, is like so many... Uh, when they were announcing, hey, Jim Cummings is doing the audiobook for this, they were like, hey, hear Pirate's Price read in the voice of Winnie the Pooh. And I'm like, that is so inaccurate. Yeah. And it's like, first of all, it's Jim Cummings as Hondo Anaka telling yeah. a story about Hondo Anaka. Exactly. Like, you think you would at least reference the character he's playing, mm-hmm. but, uh, I mean, it's, it's meant to be like, wait, what? Winnie the Pooh reading Star Wars? Yeah. You also, know. our cats are trying to kill each other. Lovely. Thanks, guys. But yeah, um, 
So we're going to be buying at least three copies of that book <laughs> for all of the youngins in our lives that we love. Yes. Well, um, yes. Happy birthday, Kathy Lena. <laughs> right. Uh, well, it, yeah, at least a couple of them. I mean, it could be a gateway uh, for some that don't know. I mean, because the thing is just specific characters. I, I get you're laughing. I said a funny thing. Hush. Um, if you need help it, with Star Wars, get help. Uh, Stop it. But... It's dealing with very specific characters, is yeah. my point. I know your ma'am. point, and I was laughing. Goodness. Because it's funny. It's not funny. It's a phrase. It's a gateway. Oh my god. Gonna gosh. get into harder stuff, I'm like Son of Dathomir. I'm sorry that you're thinking about drugs all the time. Well, we are gonna be talking about George Lucas in the 70s. George Lucas never did drugs. He wears too much flannel to do drugs. <laughs> Just because it was the 70s doesn't mean everybody did drugs, man. Okay. Okay. We were not around in the 70s, therefore, I cannot fact check myself. Prove it. Show me a drug test. <laughs> I could show any, you any Harrison Ford. No. <laughs> now, Harrison Ford, yes, I'll give you, but George Lucas. Yeah, he was in a lot of pain. I can understand Harrison Ford. I mean, yeah, and it's just Harrison Ford. <laughs> Accurate. Um, but yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. So yeah, uh, make make use of the Audible subscription that you're gonna get through us. Um, <laughs> the, you can... the silent search for for one's place in the script. Shut <laughs> up! <laughs> I'm just gonna start doing Star Wars music. Found it. So you can read more in the Fight of the Falcon series in the Star Wars Adventures comic written by Michael Morrissey, who will be on the show February sixth. Yeah, friend. so... Uh, friend of the show, Michael Morris. Flight of the Falcon's pr- really cool because it's a lot like... If you read the old uh, New Republic, now Legends books, like, you know, the New Jedi Order, New Republic books, those were covering a plethora of platforms. You had comics, <laughs> you had the books, you had short stories, you know. I mean, they were really putting it anywhere they could get it. And it's been yeah. the same thing with this. I mean... You've got, it's, uh, I believe, five issues of Star Wars Adventures, comic form. Mm-hmm. Then you're getting this book. We had uh, Lando's Luck, uh, which was also part of the Flight of the Falcon series. <coughs> There's also a book uh, that details the different, like, the interior of the Falcon uh, mm-hmm. along its different adventures. It's like a little kid's manual for the, the yeah. Falcon. And so... It's really cool how they've been basically inserting it everywhere and tying it all together because following the Falcon story, if you read the, the comics uh, of the Flight of the Falcon series, then you know it's been around. It's it's touched various points of the galaxy throughout uh, the entire timeline. So being able to feel like that's really happening over various story formats is pretty cool. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a gateway. <laughs> That's never going away. No, it's not. Whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, in film and TV news... Uh, Nada. Nothing. It's going to well, be fantastic. Yeah. At the point of our recording, nothing's nothing. happening. So, <laughs> At the moment. I mean, the usual. Yeah. John Favreau, Dave Filoni, they're working on their thing. Yeah. I assume they're working on Clone Wars. I don't know. So, for film and TV news, I've been watching Eureka again. It's a great show. I guess I could have... We could have mentioned, you know, uh, they recently 
released a list of uh, voice actors that are going to be at Star Wars Celebration. Ooh! I, you know, I That's figured everybody's pretty much heard that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you have um, Christian Sean, you have James Arnold Taylor, you have, his name escapes me, but the voice actor of uh, Yeager. Um, Yeager. Uh, Iden Versio. Yeah! Uh, is going to be here. I'm not going to pronounce... I'm not even going to pronounce her name. Johnny Appleseed? No. Uh, it, somebody out there can do it better. I, I'm i one of those people, if I can't pronounce it, I try not to because I don't like looking like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can check out, we, we, we retweeted it on Facebook when it was announced. Uh, it's a really cool list, and it's just the beginning. Um, but that's really the only thing I guess could be filmed in TV. Mm-hmm. But it's more Star Wars Celebration news than anything. So, yeah. you can always, you, you can... StarWars.com, StarWarsCelebration.com, you can find out all that. Our Twitter. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We usually retweet it, so. Yeah. Um, so, most importantly, John, Disney World. Disney World. Uh, Galaxy's Edge news. Uh, more Galaxy's Edge news came along with the excerpt from Pirate's Price. We learned that the cantina guests can haggle with an animatronic shopkeeper for blue milk and other oddities. Yeah. Does he? No, I'm not gonna make. No, that he joke. doesn't make the blue milk, Megan. <laughs> He's got it on tap. Thank you. And and fun fact. Well, not fun fact. I guess just cool news. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know how this label system works. But uh, the blue milk at Galaxy's Edge is gonna not be dairy. It's gonna be dairy free. Yes. Yeah, that was a broken sentence. But very. The, I'm I, very excited. Yes, I mean that means I'm, I get to drink it. Yes, I'm excited <laughs> for you and other lactose intolerant people. Yeah. Uh, you know, never have we quite changed society for intolerance, much like those yeah. who are intolerant of lactose. There is so. one place in that I know of that I can get dairy-free pizza. Yeah, that's it. And that's it. It's it's really, it, it's a hard-knock life for if your uh, stomach does not like lactose. Yeah. So, thank you, Galaxy's Edge, thank for making you. blue milk accessible. I'm going to give you a high-five if I ever see you at Galaxy's Just Edge. Just all of Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> Whap! <laughs> Just like... <laughs> The intro to Smash Bros. A giant hand comes out of nowhere. Whap! There you go. Alright, that was a dated reference. Um, so, this could possibly be the Transocean shopkeeper mentioned in the book, uh, which would be very cool. Yeah, I, I mean... like to meet a Transocean. Uh, the excerpt, it, it's some of those mentions that it could be just taken as, oh, that's... It's interesting to hear that a, a, it's a shopkeeper that's a Transocean. You know, they're usually very hostile. Mm-hmm. But... Given we know Batu is the setting for Galaxy's Edge, it's also like, wait, it's a Trandoshan shopkeeper. Do we, you know, do we have anything that tells us we're going to see that? And so you're reading the excerpt, and you're just like, oh, this is this. You're imagining it, but you're not just imagining it for the story. You're imagining it because you might be going to this place. Yeah, you might be seeing this. You're going to so, be interacting with it. Um, since it is animatronic, I kind of jumped to that assumption. Um, but, I mean, it could be it could be anything. But I have to imagine it's alien, for sure. Oh, definitely. I mean, how cool would it be to interact with an alien from Star Wars? And if it's Trandoshan, you almost know for sure that uh, D. Bradley Baker's probably doing the voice. Oh, yeah. Like, and I'm gonna... I'm gonna pat it on the forehead either way, whatever it is. <laughs> I, I wouldn't get that close. I don't know. I, I'm curious. I'm very curious of what Trandoshan skin feels like. Uh, lizard. Oh, look at that. Um, but yeah. So, we also got a glimpse at the Falcon ride, uh, Rise of the, and the Rise of the Resistance ride. It's a lot of R's. So, ride to a, 
The picks of the Falcon ride include the cockpit, the main corridor, which means that the pods that the guests enter for the ride could be a lot bigger than we thought. Um, either way, it looks like we will get the full effect entering the Falcon. Yay! Um, the other picture is of the ride cart for Rise of the Resistance. The cart features a black R5 droid in the front of the cart, who will most likely be our tour guide on this magical adventure. <laughs> Over here you got space Nazis. Over there you got more space Nazis. And up ahead is Big Emo Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Big Emo Boy with laser sword. Yep. Oh boy, he's all sad. Mm-hmm. Sad what a and angry. What a surprise. Um, <laughs> again, in the article where these pictures appear, they emphasize that the climax of the ride will see guests encountering Kylo Ren. Somewhere in there, we will even see a rumored... <sighs> rumored a life-size AT-AT, which you're very excited about. Yes. I remember your reaction walking into Star Tours for the first time. Oh, yeah. I, like, nudged you to look up. Yeah, and that's probably... It's pretty close to half. I mean, that's got to be, like, 35, 36 foot tall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, it's rumored that it's life-size. If that's yeah. the case, it's 74 foot tall. That's insane, first yeah. of all. And, I mean, yeah, I, it's just, it's crazy. There were so many times that I wished that we had taken a picture of your reaction. There were a few times that we did get your reaction. <laughs> I think I think when we go to Galaxy's Edge, I just need like a GoPro trained on me. Yeah, uh, that's going to be me, honey. All of the emotion. <laughs> yeah. the The bad part is though is that I'm going to be experiencing it for the first time too. So it can't be like our first trip to Disney together, where I'm I've already experienced most of the stuff, and so I'm just happy to watch you. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be first for both of us. So, yeah. I mean, but but that's also nice that it's kind of a level playing field. I mean, when we went to Disney, <clears throat> I was experiencing things first. You were kind of re-experiencing oh, yeah. after many years. I was having a nostalgia quake. Yeah, um, whereas this is even playing field of neither of us have ever stepped foot in anything like this. And, um, you know, definitely given our love for Star Wars specifically. Because yeah. with Disney, there's a lot of things for me that it's just like, it's great, it's Disney, yeah. I enjoy it. And then there's stuff that is, it, it's special. And usually that has to do with Star Wars and other things I, I particularly like. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't just walk up to anything at Disney and just be like, I love this eternally. Because mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not always true. Yeah. You know, um, but give me certain things like Star Wars, give me Tangled, give me classic characters, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what really, really gets me. Yeah. Your first time meeting a princess was also a nice experience. What, Tiana? We met Tiana, which made me very... Yeah. Very fangirly, even uh, though... I, listen, I'm an adult. I know it's not Tiana, but it's Tiana to you, me. You know, what, you know what's cool? What? They can have at least one princess at Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Oh my gosh, they have a, they could have a queen and a princess, but more than like, let's be honest, it's gonna be Leia. If it's Amidala and Leia, that would be a cool like special event thing, you know? Because like at Hollywood Studios, they have the regulars yeah. and then they have the special event ones. Oh my gosh, so. if you could like go into the um the throne room on Naboo. Oh, that, that would, would be, be cool. beautiful. That would be awesome. That would be freaking amazing. That would be. Well, there you go. So that yeah. I mean, th obviously the 
most of that's just fan theory, but yeah, uh, like that's the beauty. We we don't know anything, and so we can really imagine. Obviously, yeah. well, you have to be responsible with that sort of thing. Don't get so attached to to something that you're disappointed with everything if you don't get exactly what you think. But yeah, with Galaxy's Edge, I mean, there's so much, and like I said, you know, with this is a book, and it's giving us little glimpses at what the park is going to be. And so yeah. there's going to be, I'm sure, more of that. We could probably even see Batu in episode 9, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. So uh, it it's an exciting time to kind of be building up to such a big thing. you know. And it's very different. It's not a movie. It's not a TV show. It's real. You know, it's tangible. Yeah. You can go here. You can talk to these things. and You can walk up to a so trend ocean and pat it on the head. <laughs> I, I still don't know about that. I'm just going to probably get tackled by security. Listen, this is what I'm going to do. Just gently walk up to it and go peb peb and right then, on the and forehead. And just be ejected He'll, by no. Mickey himself. <laughs> <laughs> get out of the park. <laughs> um, or it could be like fanboys where one of the security guards is Ray Park. <laughs> uh, that was a cool reference. That was. All right. Well, it, but yeah, anyway, so Galaxy, it, it's cool hints. It's cool hints. So that's a, uh, a good thing to look forward to and, and theorize yeah. about. Um, I'll go ahead and say we're going to be transitioning into the banking clan. Hear me out. If you've heard, if you've been with us a few weeks, feel like you've been hearing the same thing, we are trying to change it up a little bit. We can only control so much with how much we can change, uh, but we are trying to make it more interesting and hopefully more appealing to everybody based on the stats. We want to try and uh, get things boosted. So give the banking clan a listen. There might be something for you. I can definitely say that it ties directly to uh, what we're talking about here in the news. So, without further ado, the banking clan. Alright, so as I mentioned, we kind of changed things around a little bit with this. We still have some deals for you from Amazon, uh, but we're trying to tailor them more to our audience, get more specific with it. Uh, as always, we do have the Amazon Prime 30-day free trial. You can check out a link in the description for that. It has a lot of benefits if you're a frequent uh, online shopper. And we just recently found out you can shop IKEA on Amazon. Uh, yeah. And so if you're looking to upgrade some of your furniture and things, then uh, jump over on Amazon. But be sure to get Amazon Prime first so you get that free two-day shipping on these things. Yeah. Uh, and then you also get other... Uh, prime discounts, and yeah. so it, it, it's definitely worth it if you're going to be a frequent shopper. Buy yourself a Flimflipin. Uh It is a free trial, so, I mean, if anything, after the 30 days, just, if you don't feel like it benefits you, then just go back to regular Amazon, but I think you'll like Prime. Uh, you can also check out uh, a link for the top Amazon deals for every category. This is very general. It can be just about anything you're looking for. If you're looking for a new plunger for your bathroom, I'm pretty sure you can find it there. So this is really out there if you want to try and find anything that you're kind of craving right now. Um, check out that link in the description. Of course, we also have Audible for one month free. Um, with Pirate's Price being released and being read by Jim Cummings himself, I think this is one that should be a definite don't miss. And if anything, try it out. Use your free credit to get Pirate's Price. Listen to the book, and if you are really, if you really like it, and you're interested, keep it. And the great thing is, each month you're uh, you're given a credit for a free book. Um, but 
If you don't like it, guess what? You can just cancel after the 30 days, mm -hmm. and you can still keep Pirate the Price or whatever book you get yep. during your free trial. It's it, it's an awesome deal for a trial, uh, if anything. So uh, check out Audible there. If you're not an audiobook person, if you'd pr rather read it than hear it, then we have a link in the description for Pirate's Price from Amazon, the physical copy that you can check out as well. And then finally, lastly, so what we're going to start doing is we're going to start including something specifically Star Wars related. Um, well, we, ha we decide on one big thing, and then as, as usual, Megan has scoured for the, the oddities. But oh, um, each week things. we'll have a new thing to kind of... Uh, uh, let you know about that is specifically Star Wars related um, or as Star Wars related as it can be so that way uh, it's it's catering to you. You love Star Wars, we love Star Wars, Amazon loves Star Wars. Let's all capitalize on that. So this week what it is is you can get a 30-day trial of Amazon video for just three dollars. Um, what's so Star Wars about that? I'll tell you. If you're like us and you don't really have cable uh, and you don't have access to ongoing show content, uh, the benefit is that Amazon is there for people like us and you. And so maybe you've been down in the dumps. You haven't been able to keep up with uh, Star Wars Resistance because you just don't have cable and you don't have anything Disney-related to get you there. Guess what? Star Wars Resistance is on Amazon Video, and for just $3 for 30 days, you can get access to Star Wars Resistance. It's $1.99 an episode, or you can buy the entire season, meaning when every other uh, episode comes out, you just get it. It straight downloads for you. That's only 35 bucks. It's what you'd spend on the Blu-ray, and you've got it digital. You can watch it on multiple devices. It's really cool. So, if you've been uh, without Star Wars content, uh, Star Wars Resistance specifically, uh, check out this uh, $3 for 30-day trial of Amazon Prime video. Amazon Prime also comes with video content, but it doesn't always have the newest things. Uh, it does have some, but uh, Amazon Video is the way to get the most bang for your buck uh, with getting new and ongoing TV shows and movies and all sorts of things. So check it out. All of those links are in the description below. And if none of that suits you, Megan, what else can they get? Well, guys... Um... They can buy from Bandai Hobby on Amazon. Mm -hmm. It is eligible for Prime. Um, the Star Wars General Grievous Hobby Kit. The Star Wars General Grievous Model Kit. Yes, Model Kit. Yes, that's that's the phrase. And that's it quite looks quite cool. Yes, uh, it's great. It is about, I believe, eight or nine inches tall once it's Let's done. See. It's only $45. Um, which sounds like a lot, but the beauty is you get to build this thing, and it is jam-packed with detail. Uh, oh, yeah. And, I mean, you put you put this thing together yourself. So if you're a puzzle maker, if you like uh, working with your hands and Legos just aren't doing it for you, upgrade to model kits. Get this thing. It's beautiful. Uh, Bandai makes amazing model kits. Absolutely. Um, you know, they, they also have the Star Wars ships out there. But they've recently started doing characters like General Grievous, like Darth Vader, mm -hmm. like the Stormtroopers. Um, and they even have characters like Luke and Han and Leia. And the, the, the face sculpt on these things is they're immaculate. Incredible. It's amazing what they're able to do. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, Bandai, they're, they're doing some great things. So yeah. head over to Amazon, look for you a Grievous, get you a, a spinny 
menacing spider boy. Yes. Uh, and and give him a home on your shelf. And check out all the other things that we've got going on. Amazon yeah. Prime, Audible, Amazon Video, all of those good things. They're all waiting in the description for you. You can and also one buy. more thing. You can also buy Disney's Star Wars Being Darth Vader co- Adult Comfy Throw Blanket with Sleeves. It sounds like a Snuggie. It is a Snuggie. It's a Darth Vader Snuggie. It's a Darth Vader Snuggie. Oh my gosh. Happy birthday, John. Be, be the most comfortable <laughs> evil villain ever. Ever. All right, so check out all those cool things in the description. Uh, we have one more ad for you, uh, and then we are back to the show. So, like we mentioned in the beginning, uh, we wanted to take a minute, to, well, not a minute, several minutes, uh, to focus on some of the inspirations for Star Wars, you know, because uh, we had been talking about doing this for uh, a while. Um, back, I think, even when, uh, the Zillow Beast episode of the Clone Wars popped up, we had quite a few episodes for a while that were featuring heavy classic film inspirations, and it got us talking about the subject, and we wanted to extend that to a fuller podcast episode, uh, particularly focusing on, uh, the first Star Wars film and a little bit of the original trilogy, where it, where it, where it all began, um, and because arguably those are the most impactful, uh, those are the most Star Wars defining inspirations, uh, what came before there was ever a Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we originally had it scheduled for earlier, things got moved around, and so we're finally getting to it. Um, but yeah, I, I, we, we thought it would be a fun conversation. Uh, definitely, uh, maybe some education. Um, I think, uh, well, I know we are not the first to sit down and talk about the films and, uh, events that inspired Star Wars, so it's not like we're covering new ground necessarily, but maybe, uh, we'll touch on something you haven't heard before, uh, or if nothing else, you'll hear it from our perspective, because we're not just going to run down a list of things and, uh, say sayonara. We're gonna we're gonna discuss you know the idea of inspiring Star Wars and and what it means in the greater narrative and everything. So hopefully it'll be fun conversation. Hopefully it'll be educational. Uh, if anything, uh, you'll just hopefully enjoy having us in your ears talking about Star Wars for the next hour or so. Yeah. So that I mean you can always guarantee you're gonna get that. Uh, what's in between I don't know, but. Yeah, so, um, I feel, I felt like focusing on, like I said, A New Hope in particular was the way to go because that was before there was anything like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And and so it, it, you know, A New Hope needed the most, uh, inspiration because it was what would start this whole thing, this whole journey. Uh, and some things that inspired the original film and original trilogy has gone on to continue to inspire Star Wars. I mean, we talked about it. Seven Samurai inspired an episode of Clone Wars. Um, uh, The Hidden Fortress uh, inspired parts of uh, The Phantom Menace. So it's not like some of it just stops at the first film and then they don't need inspiration anymore. Star Wars is, is full of inspiration from everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Some more subtle than others. Um, 
but yeah, depending on, I mean, because we could sit all day probably and talk about everything, cover every bit of Star Wars that was inspired by something, down to the littlest thing, but uh, I figured this was a great place to start, and if it's good enough to get uh, a lot of good feedback, um, and if we're just interested enough to do it, we'll continue on in the future. Um, so yeah, so if you, if, if you like the episode, let us know, because it could determine whether or not we discuss more Star Wars inspirations. Yeah, it could end up being, like, our, uh, ongoing series of Women of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, because we have a couple more of those in our back pockets as well, because there's just so many awesome women in the galaxy to talk about, we can't do it in one or two or three episodes. Absolutely not. Uh, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's just kind of a, a hint of, eventually down the road we're going to be doing another one if you've been with us long enough you know we have talked about doing a third one soon anyway but anyway uh megan yeah so like i said it's going to be educational we're going to throw some facts at the people uh well we're going to throw it at the microphone the people are on the other side of the microphone Don't throw things um, in the microphone. it was expensive but you and i are also going to talk about some things yeah we are i figured a great place to start with talking about things is where do you think the line is between copying another film or art piece and simply being inspired by it. What do you, what do you think makes the difference? Well, there's a big difference between co- copying someone's homework and, you know, gleaning answers from it, I guess, in mm-hmm. a way. Uh, searching for ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, can you think of any film coming up in the last ten years that was completely original? No. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it, beg- it begs the question of, is anything original? Can anything be original? Well, if we're going by the law of The Simpsons, everything's been done at least once, and therefore... <laughs> right, The Simpsons, da da Yeah. Uh, uh, well, George Lucas even talks about, you know, he... And he doesn't necessarily believe it, I'm just saying he talks about it in an interview at one point. He talks about a book that he read where the author talks about, you know, there's only 32 stories and every story being told is just some variation of those 32 like it's one of those so you can only go so far to telling something completely and utterly new and arguably it's mostly because there's just so much content there's just so much i mean people have been writing plays and novels and all those things for millions of billions of years or maybe thousands well, yes. <laughs> um, but, like, it's very hard to think of something that's completely original. Again, sorry if you don't like the sound of cracking knuckles. It's a habit. We, we need to get her some oven mitts. <laughs> they don't just be, like, whapping the oven mitts <laughs> against each other because I need <laughs> to. <laughs> You'll be Zoidberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you would have to live a secluded life up to the point that you're in age and maturity that you can create Mm -hmm. and only then could you create arguably or or could you be most set up to create something original Mm -hmm. even then based on having an education to even understand writing you know in order to understand how to write we read famous writings uh poems stories you know all these other things so even even in our learning to do something we're taking in uh, creative content. Yeah, and all that being said, you know, I think we probably sounded a little cynical there, but all of that being said, you know, it's not 
it's not the formula itself that makes a good film, TV show, whatever. It's what you do with the formula. Yeah. Like, the most original film I have ever seen in the last few years has been, you know, Get Out by Jordan Peele. Yeah. That was incredibly original and fantastic. Mm-hmm. Although, it took, you know, several elements from other horror films. Mm-hmm. It's still a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Completely blew my mind. Yeah. Well, in, um, yeah, it's not, to, it's not a criticism necessarily to say, and, and I, like George Lucas, um, I don't necessarily think you could boil it down to just 32 narratives that are just told no. over and over. I think it's a little bit more than that, but the idea is there that we can only tell the same story so much, or we can only tell stories so much before it starts being very similar. Uh, and it, it I, I agree, it's about what you do with it, because you can take two very similar stories, and based on what you do with the characters inside, mm. and with the motivations, and with the settings, and you know, it, it's everything from point A to point B uh, that could determine whether or not they feel the same or not. Like yeah. you could w- walk out of both films, maybe saying it's a very similar story, and I expected A, B, and C to happen, but actually it was you know X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not to say that originality equals good necessarily. Mm. Uh, there's definitely, especially in film, I think, there's this big idea that that's what it is. If it's original, it's great. You yeah. know, I mean, it, uh, it, I'm one, I don't really like, in, a lot of people try and push me on independent films because they're like, it's so original, it's so different, it's so new, yeah. and yet, I don't necessarily think that means it's good. Now, I've seen some independent films that are good, but just because they're different doesn't make it good. Just because they're original, quote-unquote, doesn't make it good. I have never seen a film like the movie Mama. I've not seen Mama, so... I did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> just because it's, you know, a, an original idea and, you know, indie and all that stuff. I Yeah, well... It was confusing. I did not like it. When I think it goes to show that you can benefit from learning from other things... Uh, as, as much as you can benefit from trying new things. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's definitely a teeter-totter, uh, a, a balance act of being both new and inspired, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. Um, oh, man, I got... We, well, well, we'll get back around to my other questions. I thought of some things, but oh we'll get there. Uh, after we talk about some of... Uh, some of the inspirations of Star Wars, because... And I hope it's not a negative thing. If you've not delved into the realm of understanding what went into making Star Wars Star Wars, hopefully this isn't daunting and overwhelming to the sense that you no longer think highly of Star Wars as something original and creative. Because a lot of people praise Star Wars for being that. And I think in a lot of ways that is absolutely correct. Star Wars is new and original and creative. But it's very inspired. Oh, yes. Uh, and so, hopefully, by you know, kind of starting the conversation on, hey, being inspired, it's not necessarily a bad thing. If anything, it can be a very good thing. Um, but, you know, you're just trying to come at it from a positive lens. Hopefully, it doesn't bring anybody's perspective of the original Star Wars film down. That that definitely not our intention. It's it's merely to kind of understand what made Star Wars 
from a film perspective. You know, we talk about in-universe a lot. We talk about characters a lot. We talk about the story a lot. But we don't really focus all the time. And when I say we, I mean us here at Nerd Herder. We don't always uh, look at it from the real world sense. Yeah. You know, usually when we're talking Star Wars, we're talking about the story. We're talking about the fiction, not the fact. Um, and so today's a little bit more based on the fact. Um, but understanding the fact can help us understand the fiction a little bit. Yeah. Um, so... When it comes to imagery and scenes that were uh, major backdrops for what we would uh, for what would be used in A New Hope, the biggest example uh, it has to be the film Dam Busters. This is a 1955 British film set in World War II and tells the true story of a Royal uh, Air Force raid to destroy th um, three German dams. Uh, the special effects supervisor d uh, for Dam Busters was even a cinematographer for A New, Herp, uh, a new Hope. A New Herp. <laughs> I like that one better. Uh, a New Hope. Uh, Gilbert Trailer. Uh, and so it makes sense that several shots would feel like an echo uh, of the previous film. Yeah. Also, John, we are a family show. Please, darn busters. <laughs> Very funny. Um, various shots of the gun emplacements tracking the enemy planes uh, is a lot like the turbo lasers tracking the X-Wings. Uh, several banking shots of the ships themselves feel like uh, you're looking at the old school World War II uh, airplanes. Mm -hmm. um, there are very there are several small visual shots that are clearly lifted from Dam Busters. They almost feel like they are just kind of <clears throat> it, it, it's the original scene, but with Star Wars stuff plastered on it. Um, and it's probably because the film. Dam Busters was screened for animators and puppeteers when they were creating the choreography of the trench run. Uh, even some of the dialogue is lifted, and, and, which um, can... I, this is where it starts to feel like, is this ins inspiration or is this uh, copying? Mm -hmm. um, it can almost seem like it's, it's a cheap way of copying, but the way Lucas took a two-hour film and condensed the key... Uh, physical elements and challenges and transformed them for his created universe does show a great deal of inspiration and creativity. Um, I mean, the, if you want to know more about the Dam Busters, essentially, it's a two-hour version of the trench run. Hmm. You know, George Lucas takes two hours, makes it 30 minutes, and takes the physical highlights of um, the film, you know, particularly planes um, with a sort of astronomical chance at shooting a very small target. Um, even, you know, in Dam Busters, the first hit doesn't make it work. It takes a second run uh, to get the the shot uh, and everything. And so, um, yeah, it can feel like, especially when you watch it side by side, was any of this original or did he basically just run out of ideas and just say, hey, take this but make them look like spaceships? Um... I don't, I don't think that was the case. I think, you know, like I said, I think he did take uh, the very specific imagery of the scenes and managed to make it work for his environment. You know, he didn't just do a straight-up retelling of it. I mean, you know, the dam became a Death Star, and the ships became spaceships, uh, and, and so much was changed to fit and feel like like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it's fair to call necessarily treat it as just a rip-off. 
but it's definitely heavily inspired. Um, what what do you think that that do you think that's more copying or do you think that is in, in, inspiring? Uh, that one's kind of a hard one to really unpack because, like you said, there is a lot of elements that were lifted directly from the, the mm -hmm. original film. I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on, I guess it, it depends on you, you mm -hmm. know, it depends on, yeah. uh, your take, and I guess, you know, I, it's kind of my innate desire to just love Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> and be positive about it, that, uh. Yeah, we're willing to scratch and fight and defend Star Wars till our end, so. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't want it to seem like that means I'll defend anything wrong or bad not, no yeah. it's just that I feel like it's a lot harder for me to find heavy criticisms and usually yeah. if I am criticizing something you can you can believe that I truly have a strong feeling about it it's it's not that I'm just finding something to complain about usually if, if something comes up to complain about with Star Wars for me it means that's that's it that if I had to pick something that wasn't great about it it's this one thing, and that just really bothers me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of few and far between. Um, but I think with this, you know, I, I kind of just view it as... I don't think there was much other way to do what Lucas wanted to do with his vision than for it to feel like World War II in space. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I can, the, for the physical shots, you know, like the, the planes banking and certain cockpit shots and the shots of the turrets, those I can take at, simply as, look, you're dealing with a lot of students and first time animators, uh, with this sort of thing and, and with, um, these sort of visual effects. I think they definitely went the easy way of saying, hey, what if we just made, the, what if the X-Wing just did that? Wouldn't that be just a cool shot? Yeah. Uh, and so forth and so on. So I think it was a way for who they had and what they had to work and look well because, you know, Dan Busters looked good for a film. Uh, and so I think them, instead of trying to create something that could have looked choppy and bad, and instead saying, let's lean more into this shot, or let's lean more into them looking like this, uh, I think was probably a smarter decision. Yeah, um, I get that. So, I mean, I guess I just have some rationales for it, but that's just me. Mm -hmm. um, if you're into old movies, I recommend everything we're talking about, checking it out at least um, I'm not a big fan of old movies, but uh, certain ones uh, I can definitely recommend, and pretty much everything on this list I can recommend. The MASH movie, that's a good one. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. it's depressing. <laughs> it's incredibly depressing. Um, but I, I am glad to, to say that, and I think it's because that's it. You know, mm -hmm. when it comes for shot for shot, that's it. Uh, yeah. The rest of the film, and, and, and a lot more of what we're going to talk about, feels more just like straight inspiration. It's like, 
you can connect those two things, but it doesn't feel like you're just taking it and putting it in Star Wars kind of thing. Um, so moving on from the more on-the-nose inspirations, we get into the more stylistic framework inspirations. Much of this uh, will involve the mention of a famous Japanese film director known as Akira Kurosawa, which if you've been listening to our Clone Wars episodes thing, you already know that name. Um, he is the director of films like Seven Samurai, uh, Hidden Fortress, uh, Stray Dog, and, and more that we're going to talk about. And they were some of the biggest influences on George Lucas. Uh, Kurosawa is an interesting director to study because uh, of what influenced him and his style. Akira uh, was raised seeing American westerns uh, simil and, and similar films and would carry many of those inspirations into the genre uh, that he would go on to direct films in. Uh, which made many of his films from the 50s and 70s incredibly famous and praised. Um, so, you know, Akira basically did what George Lucas did. George Lucas took bits from genres and films that arguably wouldn't have reached most audiences and put them in Star Wars so that they would reach all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And Akira kind of got famous for the same thing because he took inspiration from American film and put it into Japanese film. You know, different things from the way he would frame shots to the way he would do action, the way he would do sound design. So much that he did was so different to Japanese filmgoers because no other Japanese director was really doing that sort of thing. And so I think a lot of Akira's popularity could be equated to Lucas's. Yeah. Of doing something that was popular to a very particular audience and taking that to a new audience. And I think that's why it can feel so original and new is because most of what inspired it, most of these people probably wouldn't have heard. I, I guarantee most American filmgoers hadn't heard of Akira Kurosawa. So when you say, hey, Akira did that in one of his movies, no, you know, the guys are going to be like, what, what are you talking about? You know, they don't, they don't, no, it's Akira Kurosawa is not a household name like Lucas or Spielberg at the time or Francis Ford Coppola at the time and such. Uh, so it, it's just an interesting parallel. Um, and so it was the films that Kurosawa was, was making that George Lucas would discover and study in film school, and we can see how elements stayed with him for his own films. In particular, the films we mentioned, Hidden Fortress and Yojimbo, uh, were key to elements of Star Wars. Hidden Fortress was uh, focused on the perspective of two lowly peasants, which was a conscious choice by Kurosawa and was replicated by Lucas with C-3PO and R2-D2. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a significant thing to tell the story from the low perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not talking about heroes. We're not talking about princesses. We're talking about peasants. Uh, and with Hidden Fortress, it's a bigger point um, you know, arguably, depending on who you talk to, and I don't want to offend anybody to, with it, but to some people, R2 and C-3PO aren't main characters. Yeah. They're just around the main characters a lot. Uh, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that, you know, uh, with Star Wars, R2 and C-3PO starting our perspective is, is very different, um, but we don't necessarily stay with them. You know, we definitely get a focus on the princess and the hero and the farm boy. Um, but I, I think it was a good choice to start from... I mean, imagine, again, coming into this and 
as far as you know, for the first six minutes, your main characters are about to be two robots. Yeah. And you can only understand one of them, and he's annoying. So it was, it was different. It was arguably questionable. But I think it was a good choice. Um, and I think he knew it was a good choice because of Kurosawa. Uh, and so uh, and in the physical inspiration for th C-3PO, uh, this is not Kurosawa, but it's different, but uh, the physical inspiration for C-3PO was an evil robot from the 1927 film Metropolis. Yeah. Uh, very good movie. Yes. It's a very crazy movie. In I'll go ahead and say incredibly that. Incredibly crazy. Um, again, now, in the, this this goes to show Lucas's film student history. This guy's taking films from the 50s and 20s uh, and incorporating them into his narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, he has a couple of inspirations we're going to talk about from the 60s and 70s, which were a little closer to when he started writing for Star Wars. But this is a guy who's looking at a 1927 film and saying, you know what, that's amazing. I'm going to slightly tweak that and bring it into my film, and it's going to feel so new. I mean, it's one of those things where he, he recognized something that was great then that would continue to be great now in his film. Yeah, and if you've never seen Metropolis, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, it, I mean, if again, I, you know we would recommend any of these movies that we're going to talk about. With Metropolis, though, don't go in expecting that you're going to get a whole film that feels like, no. oh, that, that inspired Star Wars. No. Metropolis inspired two things about Star Wars. C-3PO, which first of all was based off of a female robot. It was actually the first robot ever uh, done on screen in a very c similar C-3PO way of just someone wearing bits of armor. Um so it inspired the look of C-3PO, especially, and, and, and if you doubt that, look at Ralph McQuarrie's art for the first C-3PO design. It's basically the, the evil woman robot from Metropolis. The second thing it inspired was Coruscant. Um, you know, this is a film set in the future, and a lot of the cityscapes do inspire Coruscant. Uh, but other than that, those are the only two Star Wars-y things. And, I mean, the evil robot is on screen for maybe four minutes. So... Some of these you can watch, and you can feel like you're almost watching a dated and different version of Star Wars. Like, watch Dan Busters, you'll feel like you're watching The Trench Run for two hours. Uh, you know, watch Hidden Fortress, and you'll feel almost like you're, you're watching the um, uh, old, old telling of Star Wars. You know, uh, but watch Metropolis, and... Be weirded out. For yeah, two hours. Ba basically. Um, but that's just that's just a preface to that. But uh, um, yeah, uh, so the idea of taking C three PO and R two D two again, droids, robots, low level, low you know, uh, lowly characters, and putting us with them for the perspective of the film, uh, very inspired and interesting choice. Uh, additionally, both films feature an aged and experienced general who assists a rebellion led by a princess and engages in a duel with a former rival whom fought year who he had fought years earlier. So, like I said, watch Hidden Fortress. It can feel like a Japanese uh, film period piece of Star Wars, um, at least in the major elements. Um, and then there's Yojimbo, uh, 
which featured a fight scene that would be replicated uh, similarly in the cantina bar fight. The, the the comparison is somebody bumps into somebody and then somebody loses an arm. Basically, that's all. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of... What, what more do you need? I mean, looking at that scene and being like, yep, that's the one I need in my movie. I need someone losing an arm. Yep. <laughs> in the first 30 minutes of the film. Um, and so uh, it was pretty interesting. And even the sequel of the film, so you have Yojimbo, and then the sequel Sanjuro, uh, also inspired the hiding under the floorboards trick, which arguably that was inspired long before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you can you can recount a few inspirations for that, um, but I think most people equate this as the inspiration for it because it's Akira Kurosawa, and if you know one thing about George Lucas, he's a Kurosawa fanboy. So yes, he is. Uh, and importantly. The Japanese film genre, which these films uh, take place, is a major influence on Star Wars. The genre is known as Jedi Geki, uh, which just means period piece, uh, which is the uh, type of genre that samurai and martial arts films would take place. Uh, the samurai uh, motif kind of inspired Obi-Wan, as well as the designs of Vader's helmet and the Stormtrooper's helmet. Um, and so that... it gives us a lot to thank Akira Kurosawa for, uh, and that's not even mentioning all the all the several Clone Wars episodes that we've talked about that are inspired by that. If you want to know that, watch our episode uh, from last week where we talk about Lost Lightsaber. Go back a few weeks when we talk about um, Bounty Hunters. That's basically Star Wars Seven Samurai. Um, and yeah, so and now Akira Kurosawa did not create the Jedi Geki genre. We're not over-thanking him, you know, but he did, he is one of the ones who made that the most famous, and that genre, obviously, you know, Jedi Geki, Jedi, mm -hmm. it, it stuck with George Lucas, um, but, I mean, you know, we've covered a, a few major points of the story. You've got the old general, you know, the old wise general, you have the princess, you have the rebellion, you have the uh, former ally, now foe of the aged general. You have the lowly perspective characters. We have a lot that is Star Wars, feels like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so, arguably, Kurosawa has the biggest thumbprint on George Lucas's thought process for, for this, um, uh, for what became Star Wars, ultimately. So it's pretty interesting. Um... Do you think a lot of the visual styles being inspired by Eastern cinema adds to why Star Wars was so successful? Definitely. I think it's a lot of things that people had never seen before, you know, unless they're big old nerds like George Lucas. Um, it's just very striking, beautiful imagery that, like I said, people have never seen before. Yeah, and I mean, I think that lends to the genius of George Lucas to take inspiration and fascination with a genre that was... Yeah. It wasn't new. It's one of those things, it's not new, it's new to me, though. Yeah. You know, and that was basically most of the audience that was going to see Star Wars, is what George Lucas was doing wasn't necessarily new, but it was new to them. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to make it uh, a hit. Now, so, now, would you say just because 
it feels new, that it's necessarily deserves all the, the praise of being original and creative, or do you think it does earn those credits of being original and creative? I think you got to give credit where credit is due. Definitely, it's not the first time it's been done, but in a new way, I suppose. I, I guess what I, I guess. Do you think George Lucas mm -hmm. making an inspired Akira Kurosawa film in space is enough to still call it original, or do you think that it can be? Or, or you know, well, let's just leave it at that. Do you think him... Now, boiling it down to say it's an Akira Kurosawa film in space, it was inspired by multiple things. We're still not done talking about what went to inspire Star Wars. But let's just say that much. Mm -hmm. George Lucas tells an Akira Kurosawa film in space. Is it still original and creative? Yes. Why? Because I don't have an answer for it. <laughs> And you're kind of breaking my brain right now. <laughs> uh, well, that's what Star Wars does, Megan. This is this is what we're in the ride for. Brain-breaking Star Wars. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I, I think taking such a specific genre and film style and transforming it the way he did... It was definitely revolutionary. Yeah, it was creative. It was revolutionary. I mean, I guess it comes down to how are we going to define original? Because we already discussed, you know, we already said no nothing, no story can be told that isn't at least inspired by another story. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking original, are we talking flat out, completely, utterly new? Or are we talking about refreshing? This is this is uh not average this is uh different you know or you know like i said are we just are we boiling it down to specifically nope it's got to be completely new to be original hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think it it has to be completely new to be original i mean like because, I mean, we've already kind of set up yeah. that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's yeah. the next acceptable definition of original, then? There, there's no... I, so, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is how... These are how these episodes work, is, you know... We, I come up with these questions... And, yeah. you know, when I say we're discussing, we're, we're fully discussing. Like, this is us with a microphone discussing this. It's one um, of those things So like it's that. not a right or wrong answer. I've never my point. thought about it before. So I don't, I don't know what I think about it. And it would take a lot more thought than I can give you in a few seconds. Twelve hours later. Yeah. Um, I think it comes down to, does it feel like George Lucas or does it feel like someone else's work. Mm. Yes. I feel like it has to do with the identity within what you created. Because it's one of those things like, you know, hey, I like that presentation you did. Oh, I can't take credit. My my dad taught me how to do public speaking. 
Yeah, but you presented it. You took what he gave you and did something with it. Yeah, but I can't really take the credit. You know, or, hey, I like that sandwich you made. Oh, I can't take the credit. My mom taught me how to cook. But you took what she taught you and did something. Yeah, but you should really call her and thank her. I don't have your mom's number, dude. Uh, you know, it's... Yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of those things, I think, where it's like... Is it that... I mean, and George Lucas is quick to tell you who he loves Akira Kurosawa and that those were influences on Star Wars. He's quick to, min quick to tell you this is what inspired Star Wars. Uh, so I think... In a way, it's that same defense mechanism in some ways of not wanting to claim it because it is inspired by something else, but not yeah. being willing to claim that you did something original with someone else's uh, ideas. You were inspired. You took something that someone else did really well, and you did it really well in your own way. You know, George Lucas didn't just make an Akira Kurosawa film. He made... A Star Wars film. He made yeah. a space opera that took influences from Japanese film, from uh, period piece, uh, real life inspirations. You know, he took it from classic sci-fi inspirations, as we're going to talk about. So, for me, when I, if you know, when I say Star Wars is original, or when I say a New Hope is original, or that George Lucas really did something original. I think I'm communicating more that he did something really well with something he was inspired by uh -huh. from someone who also did it really well. I gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, do you think the cultural inspirations, Samurai, Bushido, and such, of... Kurosawa's films, do you think those influence our interpretation of Star Wars, Jedi in particular? Do you think that has any kind of commentary on how we understand Jedi and elements of Star Wars, being that it came from a very specific Japanese genre? Yes. <laughs> I ask weird questions. I really do. So, that take, right. like a lot of taking apart in my brain. Knowing that elements that inspired the Jedi are very particularly associated with Japanese culture. Yes. Does that influence our understanding of Jedi? You lost me. No. Um, I think it does. I, th I think it absolutely does. It really kind of sets up for us an under a deeper understanding of, you know, the Jedi's honor system. In a mm -hmm. way, um, it it really explains a lot of background, because you know, samurais were protectors. Mm -hmm. um, ding. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I get it. Good answer. Um, I I definitely agree, and we will be able to talk about that way more. When we talk about the force, uh, in a couple in a couple months, we're getting there, guys. I promise. And the only reason is is because when you really dive into this rabbit hole, guys, it's mind blowing. The you know basically, we can all understand the force more by understanding Japanese culture uh, and religion more. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I I definitely think 
that establishments for what the Force and the Jedi are are deeply ingrained in um, Eastern culture and religion. Uh, and I think that sitting down and talking about that will be big for us understanding not necessarily what the Jedi are in Star Wars, but what they should be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to have that, that, that little conversation. But yes, yeah. so, but yeah, I think, I think that this, so that to say, that's why it's important and cool to take a step back and look at what inspired Star Wars, because all of a sudden we understand Star Wars more by understanding what went into Judge George Lucas's mind of creating it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, lastly... When looking at the stylistic influences of Star Wars, we have to mention Flash Gordon. Flash! Ah! One of the uh, best movies in the world. The ever. Flash Gordon serials inspired particular elements of uh, Star Wars, like two heroes infiltrating a space station, uh, ruled by an emperor based... Uh, uh, let me... Two dudes infiltrate a space station yes. in disguises, which is ruled by an evil emperor. Boom. Alright, I can read. I promise. (laughs) Uh, A princess, a hairy sidekick, spaceship dogfights, a city in the clouds run by a guy who can't make up his his mind what side he wants to be on. All of those things are from Flash Gordon, and if they sound familiar, it's because they are. They're in Star Wars as well. Uh, And arguably, if it weren't for the inspired elements of Flash Gordon, Star Wars would not have been a thing at all. Uh, because Star Wars began as Lucas's attempt to direct a Flash Gordon film series, mm-hmm. um, but Star Wars was born instead. Uh, it came from the failed uh, Flash Gordon series uh, and took Japanese film inspirations to create more than just another sci-fi movie, but something bigger. Um, and so, when you add in all of those elements of uh, the Japanese film genre, the Flash Gordon serials, the Dam Busters, all of a sudden it sounds like Star Wars. You've yeah. got war. You've got uh, Japanese Taoism. You've got sci-fi. Put that together, and what pops out is Star Wars, uh, if in basic sense. Uh, obviously, there's probably a lot more depth. But, uh, yeah, Lucas at one point took heavy inspiration from the political climate surrounding the Vietnam War and describes the atmosphere of the Empire as America in ten years. That's an actual quote. Uh, sounds... I mean... That was more than 10 years ago, but arguably we can feel the same way a little bit about, you know, <laughs> what's the first order? America in 10 years. Basically. Uh, let's hope not. Uh, but it's, I mean, it, it, it is heavy stuff. Um, another film I have to mention for visual representation, uh, and because I'm obligated to because of my name, uh, the Western film The Searchers. Now, um, who's in that movie, John? The film stars my namesake, John Wayne. As a man who returns home from the Civil War to reunite with his family, only to find that his home has been ransacked and burned and his family killed. Uh, The scene clearly inspired the visuals and emotions of Luke returning to find his aunt and uncle after a raid of stormtroopers. And there's an interesting father-son inspiration because the searchers also would later inspire Anakin's hunt and slaughter of the Tusken Raiders and John Wayne's uh, character's similar uh, act um, at the end of the searchers. Let me say, I've seen both movies, A New Hope and The Searchers, many times. I grew up with a father who absolutely loved westerns. I have never put that together. Yeah, well, and and it's beautiful when you actually... There's a scene when John Wayne walks up to the house and first it's, sees the the ransack, <laughs> and he does that same... so Luke, similar. Yeah, he does that same Luke Skywalker look away and then look back thing. Yeah. Uh, and... 
it's one of those things with that similarity similarity i take it as george lucas sitting with luke and saying hey look at this scene look at the emotion that he conveys with yeah. this i want you to do that you know i i see it as a way of saying hey this is your connectivity to what this should feel like mm-hmm. a little bit um yeah. so yeah it's real it's really it's really awesome mm. uh so Last question before I have a little bit of a geek out, and then oh boy. we're done. Because if you out. thought me talking about my namesake was a geek out, <laughs> just get hold ready. on to your butts. Uh, but before we get there, and we won't spend too much on this one, um, just because of time, but does Star Wars, being born from a failed and adapted idea for a Flash Gordon series, cheapen the impact of the film? Absolutely not. You learn from others' mistakes, number one. Mm-hmm. You, it's the whole ideal of learn and grow. Mm-hmm. You take something that failed before and make it into something brand new and beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we could have gotten a good Flash Gordon film. Yeah. We could well, have gotten a good sci-fi film. But instead, when that didn't sell, when that didn't work, George Lucas said, all right, it's not about the sci-fi. That's not what makes it good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it good by taking elements from all of these other amazing things and melting them into one amazing movie yeah. that over 40 years later we're still talking about, uh, millions of people are still talking about, still loving, and it's not even done yet. We're still getting so much Star Wars. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, it. you can look at it from the perspective of, holy cow, Star Wars isn't original at all. That makes it terrible. Or, you know, it would have just been Flash Gordon. He only made Star Wars because the first thing didn't work. You know, you can just look at it from that perspective. Or you can look at it, like you said, uh, from the perspective of, we could have gotten that, yes, but Mm -hmm. we got this instead. And, you know, at the end of the day, we have so much more, so many more people to thank than just George Lucas. George Lucas, obviously. Mm-hmm. He's the filter through which all of these other amazing things went through to become Star Wars. But, you know, George Lucas, Akira Kurosawa, um, the writers and directors and designers of Flash Gordon, Metropolis, The Searchers, all of these amazing movies that are even older than Star Wars that we're talking about now because George Lucas, some up-and-coming film student, decided to say, mm-hmm. I, I want to put that in my movie. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, you know, he I'm has ju- people, John. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I think I think it's all about perspective um, yeah. and the way you choose to look at it. Your focus uh, determines your reality, John. And if anything, we've just given you a watch list of films that you can go find that are great films, exactly. and that you can watch and look at the way George Lucas looked at. Of that is so cool. That's so different. That's so crazy. And George Lucas just did something with that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But wait. Oh, my gosh. There's more. Okay. So, there's a lot more that we can talk about. But I can't end the episode without talking about some fun connections. Fun connections. All right. This is is my tinfoil hat, crazy (laughs) uh, Charlie Day uh, insanity of Star Wars inspirations, okay? All right, I'll turn off Alexa. <laughs> so, uh, these are just fun, and mostly have to do with Darth Vader. 
Okay. The design of the helmet, we know, was taken from the style of samurai helmets and was first uh, uh, thought of for a concept for Ralph McQuarrie um, as a way uh, for the villain to breathe in space when boarding rebel ships. Mm-hmm. Before that, there were other inspirations for Darth Vader, though. The all-black style uh, of suit and cape were taken from the character The Lightning from the film The Fighting Devil Dogs. Uh, the character even had white armored lackeys that all traveled around in a flying triangle, called the Darkwing. Um, <laughs> I just imagine him coming up with that name, like, "Hey guys, I think I'm gonna go with the the, the lightning. lightning." What do you think? I don't know. I what do you think, to... Thunder? <laughs> um, so all that sounds legit and reasonable, especially when you look at the the character, the Lightning. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, I see that. Now this is an older film. Mm-hmm. What about a similar design appearing more recently? Yes, there is. Another rumored inspiration for the look was from a certain character from a 1975 film called Death Race 2000. He was clad in black leather from head to toe, a suit and cape, and a black mask, and even uh, uh, had a, uh, in a mechanical right hand. He had a burned face that he hid under all that leather. Oh. Why is this incredible? If true, you may ask. I'm glad you asked. First of all, the character's name is Frankenstein, and he's portrayed by the amazing David Carradine, a.k.a. Bill from Kill Bill. Interestingly uh-huh. enough, David's father, John Carradine, starred in 1944 film The House of Frankenstein, portrayed Count Dracula. Count Dracula was also portrayed during the Hammer film era by the legendary actor Christopher Lee. Lee not only played Dracula, but he also played Frankenstein's monster. And who was Dr. Frankenstein, you might ask? None other than Peter Cushing, who was familiar with playing the character, as he also played doc, the doc, uh, Dr. Frankenstein in Frankenstein and the Monster from Hair, Hell, Hair, Hair, where <laughs> Lee was replaced, by, uh, re- replaced as Frankenstein's monster by the big and burly David Prowse, who would go on and years later to star once again with Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin alongside his new character, Darth Vader, in Star Wars. It all comes full circle, Megan. Are you okay? (laughs) Another (laughs) cool element is that John Carradine starred in two Western films with John Wayne. Guys, help. (laughs) Both of which were directed by John Ford. John Ford was also the director of the film The Searchers. How many degrees to bacon? <laughs> it's so many degrees of connections and separations and bacon. Oh my gosh, you do not know how much this blew my mind when I went down this rabbit trail. I think I can understand. Holy cow. I mean, I used to be that kid that would go around to people and, you know, it's like, hey, you like Count Dooku? Did you know Count Dooku was, Do- was Frankenstein? You know who Dr. Frankenstein was? Peter Cushing. Dun, dun, dun. Like, that was cool. But to find out there's so many more connections to that. John didn't have many friends as a I child. did not. <laughs> the, but, oh my goodness. The, if you ever need to play a game of seven degrees of separation, always choose to play it with, uh, like, just start with, start with David Carradine. Mm-hmm. Go from there. Because, oh my goodness. What what a what a lineage leading up to now at the end of the day. A lot of that is chalked up to coincidence. I mean that's just the absolute truth of it. We're talking about a history of connecting films uh, that took place over thirty years time. 
Yeah. Um, you know, some of these films that we're talking about, specifically the films that John Carradine was in, are very, very old. So it's not like Lucas was just drawing a lineage from one to the other to, you know, get some, ha-ha, look, I got those two old guys that were in that one movie <laughs> and put them together again, ha-ha. Uh, you know, I doubt that's what George Lucas did. But it's one of those things where it's like when you really dig into the behind-the-scenes you find stuff like this that's just like, wow, what a heckin' coincidence. <laughs> uh, and so it's just, it's pretty funny. Because, I mean, we talk about, you know, Christopher Lee's Hammer Film her heritage quite a lot and everything. Uh, and so it's just one more uh, interesting connection. Also, uh, if you didn't know, David Prowse, you know, it, Darth Vader, the physical Darth Vader, obviously the voice is James Earl Jones, um, <clears throat> But David Prowse actually did all the choreography for um, The Princess Bride. Yeah. Uh, he was... That's part of why he was hired as Darth Vader, not just because he was big and burly, but also because he was a stunt coordinator. He knew yeah. what he would be doing uh, when handling a lightsaber. And so, yeah. So, uh, just all kinds of interesting stuff. So, I think it goes to show what we can learn about and love more about Star Wars when we know what went into making it. Um, and, you know, we love to talk about the effects and, and more recent inspirations of Star Wars and more recent accomplishments in creativity, but going back to the original uh, really gives perspective because without that, you know, think of all these films that we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Without all of these films, Star Wars would not have been Star Wars. Uh, and so it's it's quite a long list of people that we uh, should be gracious to uh, for helping have a hand in Star Wars, whether they knew it or not. Uh, and so, and I think Kurosawa probably was annoyed though uh, with all the Star Wars nerds coming up to him uh, after George Lucas talked about him. Probably. You know, <laughs> it's just like they just had to make a movie and mention my name. But um, yeah, hopefully you guys learned something. Uh, enjoyed uh, the conversation. Let us know what you think. What what uh, Star Wars inspiration is your favorite if you knew about these? Or what sounds the most interesting? And what do you think? It, it, does it take away the joy of Star Wars by learning that it's not as original as we might have thought? Or does it just add the layers uh, to how you love Star Wars? Uh, feel free to let us know. But in the meantime, we're going to hop over to our Q&A to wrap this up. Yep, off camera, or off mic, John just connected Star Wars to Kevin Bacon. Go yeah, ahead. so apparently Seven Degrees to Bacon or whatever was... A game that my family played on long car rides. Yeah, so basically, if you don't know, Seven Degrees of Separation is basically taking two people that are in some way related and connecting them in seven degrees or less, or seven connections or less. Yeah. That was what... I was talking about when going from David Prowse to Peter Cushing yes. and whatnot. There's also a version that you play Seven Degrees of Bacon, where you connect in Seven Degrees or Less two people, uh, one person with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I didn't know that was what it was. <laughs> I thought the bacon was the prize, apparently. Uh, but essentially, if you go... So Star Wars to Kevin Bacon would be David Prowse was Darth Vader in Star Wars. Dar uh, David Prowse did the choreography for Lord of the Rings, uh, which starred John Rhys-Davies. John Rhys-Davies was also in Princess Diaries with Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway was in Les Mis with Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman was in X-Men Origins with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds was in R.I.P.D. with Kevin Bacon. 
There you go. So there you go. A few degrees of bacon. <laughs> a few degrees. I don't know if that I was seven. <laughs> but uh, here's here's a thing. Hop on Twitter or Facebook and give us your best uh, seven degrees to bacon. Do whatever you have to to get Star Wars to Kevin Bacon, <laughs> and you can't use mine. Um, but yeah, we want to hear those goofy things. Yeah. Uh, that'd be fun, so. I love pulling out the whole, uh, Alfred Molina was in Raiders of the Lost Ark, because that's, that gets me out of a lot of things, because Alfred Molina was, it, he's been in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Rhys Davies as well. Yeah. Yeah. That connection usually gets me a lot of places. Well, it's just because you said John Rhys Davies that all of a sudden I had connections to go for. Yeah. It was like a wow yeah. moment. Well, because the only, the only Kevin Bacon movie I could think of at the time was... R.I.P.D. Because yeah. I was thinking, Ryan Reynolds has been in a lot, so I'm sure there's something I can yeah. do. You also just really like that movie. It's a funny movie. Um, I had wished it had gotten some sequels and, and went further. Uh, it is a comic series, too, if you yeah. want to read that. Anyway, you got some cues, <laughs> Megan? I got some cues. Got, got um, a cue. First cue is, how do you feel about Ryan Reynolds? He's a pretty good actor. It takes a lot for him to diversify himself because he can feel like he's being very repetitively I'm attractive and funny and quippy and... He is, though. Da, da, da. And it's just like, mm, okay, can you do something for me that's not the same character over and over? Here's the thing. That man was born to play Deadpool. I don't disagree, but it's just one of those things where it just... It takes a lot to feel different. Now, Deadpool is very different... Um, than than some characters, but uh, you know nothing. Uh, Deadpool's great. Yeah. Deadpool does not beat Just Friends as my favorite Ryan Reynolds movie. Though. Okay, this is a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> I love that movie. Okay. Anyway, so we're not talking about that right now. Uh, <laughs> we asked you guys, what Star Wars creature do you think would be the most delicious? Now, Ugh. backstory. I was sitting in you know the Carolina Ale House eating lunch with you. Eating some chicken tendos, mm-hmm. some of my favorite foods, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What do they eat in the Star Wars? Food? Is it like Pokemon, where you know every creature is a Pokemon, <laughs> <laughs> or like what other creature? Like, do they eat Bantha? They obviously eat Bantha, but like, what what would be the, the most tender animal to make tenders out of?" I think Porg. I probably, I would probably agree to that. I mean, that's the closest to space chicken, I guess. Yeah. That we've seen, at least. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Michael Johnson answered Ewoks. He assumes they would taste pretty gamey. Uh, too sentient. Too sentient. I I'm going to say that a lot in this list. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ewoks are people, too. Uh, that That's what I'm going to say. Uh, they are murder bears, but they are sentient. They have a society... And a language, and a lot more going on, and therefore I cannot eat a murder bear in good conscience. Number one, they're murder bears. They would come after you. What we're going to learn from this list is that John is lawful good. Listen, (laughs) Ewoks captured Chewbacca. Okay? Like, I rag on Ewoks. A lot of people rag on Ewoks. At the end of the day, Chewbacca was scared of Ewoks because he didn't do anything. First of all, they had chicken. (laughs) Second of all... (laughs) I don't think that was chicken. No. Some I, sort of indoor space deer. Yeah, something like that. Not indoor, like indoors. Indoor, like the planet. I gather. I'm sorry. My my geek card uh, vibrated in anger. Uh, the moon. 
Okay. It's the moon of Endor. It's not a planet. I'm sorry. Hey, John. Hi. Why don't you go to the other room? <laughs> what, you so, want to finish some Star Wars podcast uninterrupted or something? Ian said... <laughs> Diagonal? Dianoga. Dianoga. Okay. Do you Since know what the Dianoga is? I don't. It's the trash monster from A New Hope. <laughs> Delicious. Um, it's a bottom feeder, kind of like crabs or lobsters. I kind of had to agree with that one. That one had some logic to it, at least. So, yeah. good job, Ian. Good job, Ian. Uh, FedEx, but not that one, said <laughs> Reek. Reek! Yeah, we mentioned we mentioned Reek mostly because uh, it came up with the Clone Wars episodes we were watching. We watched the skirmish at Seleucami, mm-hmm. Grievous wrote a Reek, and we were like, well, yeah. See, me, <laughs> I think they're a little blubbery, just from the way they look. They don't look... Like, they've got a very skin texture. They've got, they look a lot more, like, whale-textured. So, I don't know. I've never eaten blubber. Yeah. So, but it is a, it's a good guess. Yeah. Uh, VF Production, Giggle Freaks, and Ms. Raven needs some Quinlan Vaz. I agree. <laughs> that's a good name. Uh, they all said Bantha. Yeah. Space Cow. That's the, that's pro- that's the most obvious. Big Moomoos. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a small Moomoo. Well, we don't know how much... I mean, they're covered in a lot of hair. They could be a lot smaller than we think. <laughs> just like eight pounds. Right. They're, ju- they're just like... It's like when you shave a cat, and it's just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never shaved <laughs> Where did a the cat? fluff go? <laughs> Where did the party go? Um, no neophobic. Jeremy mentioned wondering what hut tastes like. Again, too sentient. Uh, <laughs> I get that they're giant slugs, and in our world, slugs are not people, but in Star Wars, slugs are people. Uh, and slug gangster people, so I would, again, worry about the ramifications of biting a slug's tail in Star Wars. I know, I know. I, like, you know, I just, I don't, and plus that would require going near Salacious Crumb or some other form of Kwakian Monkey Lizard, so, yeah, too dangerous. Yeah, we, we mentioned that too, Kwakian Monkey Lizard. Yeah, lizards. you mentioned that. Again, I feel like they're treated like pets so much that it would be a little... It'd be eating like... It'd, be, it'd feel a little wrong. It'd be they're kind of like annoying. eating a parrot. Yeah, they're annoying pets, but they're still treated like pets. I mean, pet, pirates can have pets, too. How okay. How much would you love to have someone who sits on your shoulder and every time you make a bomb comeback, just goes, you would yeah. love you, you would love that because then you'd have somebody laughing at your jokes. Moving oh, on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, this will be a one-woman podcast next week. It, it, it would be someone who laughs at all of your jokes. Um, I laugh at some of your Not jokes. much better. Uh, I would get too annoyed with the dang thing, and then I would actually kill it. <laughs> and then I'd think about eating it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, EX07 said, he's heard Rodian is pretty good. Again, they're sentient. John. Like, I, I mean, I just imagine, <laughs> I just imagine you guys walking around Moss Eisley just biting anyone that walks by. Delicious. Like, you being that weird person, that bit Greedo on the finger, and it's just like, mmm. Could use some teriyaki. Like, come on. <laughs> Goodness gracious. And, surprise, surprise, Steel Saunders himself, of the Steel Wars <laughs> podcast, uh, said Han Solo on an Ewok spit roast, and that pretty much won the question. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That was a very good one. Um, I'm not okay with eating any other sentient species, but if Han Solo is delivered to me by Ewok, I feel obligated. <laughs> Sorry, nothing. Don't worry about it. Uh, John, what would you like to eat? Uh, I, I'm just going to say Bantha because 
I just can't think too hard about this without feeling like a terrible human being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bantha, me too. I love steak, so yeah. it's a safe bet. Ugh. Making a Bantha Delmonico steak. That would be there delicious. You go. Medium um, rare. We didn't get rare. any uh, user questions this time around, so usually you know what we do here is we just ask ourselves a question. Uh, so, since we didn't talk about it... Ask me something. What was your favorite Christmas gift? I think I've pretty much made myself clear with that one. Well, but if you would like for to me your to... your friends on Facebook. You yes. can post it everywhere, though. You don't um, tell everybody. John got me a little replica toy. Who is John, and, and why is he buying you gifts? You are John. Oh, me. Okay. Never and mind. you are my husband. <laughs> I, and you love me yes, very much. I do. Um, he bought me one a replica from one of my favorite movies, Coraline. It's the little replica... It's a... It's the little uh, stuffed doll that the other mother makes for Coraline. Mm -hmm. And it is a pretty faithful representation of it. Yeah. And it, it was my favorite gift this year. John? That's my name. What's your favorite gift this year, you big dumb? <laughs> um, hmm. That's a good question. I'm kind of having to recount everything that I got. Do you want me to just talk about... Coraline a little bit more? No. Because um, I will. I think one... I, I'm, I don't necessarily love any particular one over the other, but one that I really enjoyed the most, um, your parents got me a, a two-book set of Star Wars books. Um, and one was an encyclopedia to characters, and the other was called Everything You Need to Know About Star Wars. And... Um, I'm that guy that if you get me a Star Wars gift like that... You're gonna read it. I, I love you for it, and I love the sentiment, but in my mind I'm going to like, I already know everything about Star Wars. <laughs> no. uh, and, and the worst the, gift ever. <laughs> I say that me, it, fully well, full well knowing I don't know everything. I'm not Pablo <laughs> Hidalgo, okay? I don't know everything. Um, but it was one of those moments where I was like, this is gonna be some good reading. I'm sure it'll be plenty of what I already knew, and I was actually surprised by how much I didn't know. There was some um, good stuff in there that I didn't know, uh, because there's a lot of just those minor details that you have to look for to find. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I read through both books uh, that night, uh, and, and it was really nice. And, you know, the thought, because, uh, you know, I know that your parents don't get Star Wars, you know, yeah. um, I know that they know of Star Wars enough yeah. to enjoy the movies. Like, Daddy saw the, he saw most of the movies in theaters. Yeah. That's about it. Um, you know, they don't, they aren't Star Wars nerds, so, um, them making an effort to, uh, engage with something that I love so much, uh, is very sweet and sentimental, and, um, yeah, and, and, in turn, it was nice that it actually paid off. I did, I did learn more about Star Wars, some neat little Easter eggs. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it was really, really sweet. So I really yeah. liked that one. Your side of the family still getting me Star Trek gifts. <laughs> Which I don't mind. I love Star Trek. Yeah. But that's not the only thing I like. <laughs> but it's also, it's an easy way for, yeah. like, get John the Star Wars stuff and get Megan the Star Trek stuff. And they're constantly, it like, trying separates to... separates it. Yeah. A lot of people try to pit us against each other because uh, I like Star Trek. Well, if anything, I mean, you definitely like Star Trek yeah. more than I do. 
I yeah. like Star Trek. But I also um, love Star Wars. Yeah. But I think what I think though, in a lot of cases, you can defend a lot more Star Trek things than I can. Yes. You know, that's not to say that I go around stomping on Star Trek and you know, no one should because the fandom should be able to live in peace and we should like what we want to like. Exactly. Um but for instance, like when we way back, if you can imagine it, when we did one of our first Q and A's about you know, what's faster, the Millennium Falcon or the Enterprise, you got in your feelings about that. I did. Because <laughs> I'm talking about something you love. And so I think when it comes to Star Trek, I'm willing to just be like, okay, these are the weird ones I'm not going to talk about, but these are the good ones that I find really fu- uh, really fun and entertaining. Yeah, like we can watch Star Trek Nemesis any day of the week. Yeah, and, you know, the new films I really enjoy. Uh, the only show that I can watch fully is Next Gen, but... With yeah. you, it's one of those things, you know, hey, do you want to watch the original, uh, I almost said original trilogy, do you want to watch the original series? And I'm like, uh, That's a big no from you. No. Unless yeah. it's the triple episode or the Gorn episode, I'm not watching it. Although there will be some times where I'm just like, John, you want to see this really freaking weird episode of Star Trek? Yeah, and sometimes that pays off. But, the, I mean, it's, this, it's the equivalent of, you know, me saying, hey, do you want to watch the original trilogy? I'd rather watch the prequels. You know, yeah. it, it, it's the same trade-off. So I think it's more obvious that you like Star Trek. Whereas for me, I enjoy it like I enjoy most films that aren't Star Wars. Yeah. So. That being said, I loved all the Star Trek gifts that I got. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you guys can let us know. Um, We didn't get to talk to everybody about their Christmas, so let us know what your favorite Star Wars-related or otherwise Christmas gift was. Um, I picked a Star Wars thing just because all of my Star Wars gifts were either coffee or Star Wars. So, um... (laughs) So there you go. But, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And the best way to do that, Twitter and Facebook. Go there if you haven't already. Follow us, like us, and interact with us. Um, We obviously post all of our episodes when they go up, but we also post all kinds of other things. Ask you guys these questions and um, send out a post for you to give us your questions and all that good stuff. So if you're not connected to Facebook and Twitter, you're missing out on the Nerd Herder experience. So check that out. Connect to us there. What's Um, that handle, John? Nerd Herder cast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also, uh, there's a few ways that you can support the show if you really like it and would like to uh, be a part of helping make it happen. Um, you can do that through Anchor if you're listening through that app. That's the app that we use to record, edit, and do all of the bells and whistles of our episode. Um, they have a monthly uh, gift option through Anchor. Uh, we would be eternally grateful to you for that. But if you want to give and get at the same time, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why we have a Patreon. So you can head over to Patreon. You can also give uh, a set amount a month, uh, starting at just a dollar a month, and you get goodies for it, like our 10 Things We Love About series where we talk about the different films. Um, right now, over on Patreon, you can check out our 10 Things We Love About Attack of the Clones. Yes, which um, will be coming out on YouTube in the future. Yes, uh, it will be eventually on YouTube, but right now it is a Patreon exclusive. So if you don't want to wait months and forever to get it, uh, then head over to Patreon, consider giving a dollar a month. You get that video, and you get other videos that we post, including different uh, mini-reviews that don't quite fit in uh, a full podcast, all that good stuff. So, uh, consider supporting the show. We would be eternally grateful if you would, uh, do that. Uh, and I think that's about it. 
Yay. Yeah, we'll be back Friday with our Clone Wars rewatch. We are talking about Mandalore. Um, so it's going to be getting good. Uh, so look forward to, uh, I'd say we look forward to seeing you there, but we don't see anything but a fuzzy microphone. So we'll imagine all your beautiful faces on that microphone this Friday. Uh, and yeah, have fun with that. Um, until then though, have an awesome rest of your Wednesday, a great Thursday, and we'll be back Friday. Subscribe to PewDiePie. Or, or, or not. Or subscribe to us. Also. Yeah, we have a show, too. Subscribe to us and to PewDiePie. Goodness gracious. All right, well, I have been your herd leader, John Wayne. I've been your herd lemon mom. <laughs> Megan. There we go. You always give such suspense. You forget your name. I'm uh, tired. This has been the oddity that is Nerd Herder, and remember to stay scruffy, and may the force be with you. Bye!